You're all very welcome and uh, absolutely delighted to, uh, to have you guys here for um, our pre-Grand Slam celebration. Are we going to win? No, I don't, they don't believe. You don't believe, do you not believe? How many points? 20 points? 30 points? We're, we're going we're gonna to get the job done, yeah? 15. <laughs> 15, 12. Yeah, we'll take that. We'll take that. Uh, one will do, yeah. Joe Schmidt was saying 3-0 today. Yeah, we'll take that as well. Uh, almost two, two grand slams in our history. We'll take a third no matter what the score is. So yeah, we'll kick off. Usually I do this big, long, elaborate introduction for our guests, but let's not bother. We have a lot to uh, to get on with and we've kept it long enough. So would you please give a warm hand for the 42.E's Murray Kinsella and our special guest tonight, Mike McCarthy. <laughs> How are you, fellas? How are you, Gav? I'm very well, thank you, Murray. How are you? I'm oh fantastic, Jesus thank you. Bright. Very excited. Yeah, very yeah, excited. I, me too. Are you okay? I'm good, yeah. We're having a few technical difficulties back there, but uh, all sorted now. Thanks very much for having me. No, absolutely. It's our pleasure. Um, sorry you have to sit in what essentially amounts to a basket, but <laughs> it's, it's pretty, it's pretty comfortable, actually. Is it? Yeah, it's yeah. not too bad. It's not too bad. Yeah. Uh, are you confident ahead of the weekend? Uh, yeah, I'm very confident. Myself and Murray were having a conversation back there. Um, maybe I'm a little bit too confident, but um, yeah, I suppose I think getting off to the start we got off to against France, you know, we, we saw how important it is to get off to a good start against Scotland last year we lost. Um, so the heroics of that last kind of 41 phases in Paris, keeping the ball for five minutes and, and the drop goal just shows kind of the unity, the togetherness and, uh, you know, in, in this squad going forward. And, you know, all the games have been pretty tight. You know, the Wel we were talking about the Welsh game. And, you know, came down to the Stockdale interception. It could have gone the other way. The this, this Scottish game, they bombed a few chances. But, uh, I mean, it's what a, what a position to be in going for a Grand Slam. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very jealous of those, some of those young guys like uh, James Ryan and Andrew Porter and Jacob Stockdale. But, you know, it's a, it's a great opportunity and great chance for them going, going forward. 100%. We have had an interesting build-up, Mr. Kinsella. Yeah, a few controversies. Uh, it was always going to be a pretty busy week anyway, but yeah, for, certainly with the assistant referee being stood down today. <laughs> uh, a couple of comments from Eddie Jones as well, just to warm things up a little bit more. Let's get into them, right? So firstly, <laughs> <laughs> firstly, Marius van der Westhuizen is in a... He put himself in a difficult situation. Um, so if you, like you probably... You guys probably know, but what happened was he was brought into England's kind of training camp, I suppose, to... Um, oh. He was pre-drinking, I mean. <laughs> <laughs> so he was, brought, he was brought into England's training camp because Eddie Jones and England wanted a, uh, I suppose, a match official from the Southern Hemisphere in order to help them with the breakdown, some, an area which, in which they've struggled in the last couple of weeks. But he was also uh, the assistant referee or linesman for this weekend's game. So immediately he's putting himself in a compromised position there was a bit of a i think the term is controversy about it yeah uh, yeah well this is something that the six nations and world rugby actually in particular have pushed it's getting a referee into your camp so ireland have john lacy in regularly nearly for all their training sessions to referee absolutely everything so that the teams are obviously getting a benefit of having a referee there keep their discipline joe schmidt is huge on that but also the referees are able to get their kind of almost coaching points across so that when it comes to game day the players understand the pictures that they want to see um, <coughs> and I mean that's a very laudable kind of ploy that's something that's really good for the game there's going to be better understanding of the laws and everything but I mean this was just a little bit of madness I think from from Marius van der Westhuizen to to agree to go in 
I don't know if it was, if it was Eddie Jones trying to get a bit of an advantage on it. They probably have got that now. They'll understand a little bit more what Angus Gardner does want. But I think World Rugby made the right decision. They've also taken on their own shoulders. They said, we've made a mistake here. I'm not sure exactly how the process worked, but yeah, it's, it's better for the game because now we avoid any potential extra controversy. Well, yeah, and that's the... But like I suppose Eddie Jones put it down to World Rugby. He said, we went through World Rugby, we asked for a Southern Hemisphere official, and they gave us Van der Vestrasen, even though he is on duty this weekend. As you say, we, we're not quite sure of the exact process there and what went on, but Mike, I'd be interested from your point of view as a player going into this game, I presume it's more so something that fans would get annoyed by, like more so than players. I, I don't think it's going to be necessarily a distraction for the Ireland players, is it? Oh, I don't think so, not at all. I mean, I think it's kind of been built up by the media and I suppose World Rugby are just trying to cut. Yeah. <laughs> this fella. He always this fella. He's driving us mad. He's uh, always had a clickbait yeah. shot. No, I t- the players, the players <laughs> honestly wouldn't even, it wouldn't even bother them. Maybe perhaps the coaches, but... Not the players. I mean, you know, it's, it's normal to get refs into training. I remember back even when I was playing in 2007, we used to get a ref in. I mean, I don't know why Ireland get a ref in because, I mean, Joe's scary in the ref, so there's no, <laughs> there's no need. But, um, yeah, it's, uh, I think they're just protecting themselves in case it came down to a very close decision or, a, a, you know, a controversial decision. They're just, I suppose, cover, covering their backs and, uh, you know, at least they've done that. Mm. I think the more relevant point is that Angus Gardner is the referee for this game. Um, and I think we're going to see a different approach from him at the breakdown. Like, he very much wants to favour the attacking team. And in this championship, I was, I was speaking to a referee during the week, um, and he said his kind of viewpoint has that there's, there's almost been a race for a low penalty count. The referees are actually competing against, against each other to have a low penalty count. Um, and I think that's apparent in the game. Like, a lot of the turnovers, there's a hand on the ground before they get on the ball. Quite obvious offences, like guys resting their knees on the tackle player. So I think it's going to be a lot stricter at the breakdown this weekend. I think Gardner will have watched that. He'll bring that Southern Hemisphere focus on the attacking play and bring that in a little bit more. Jeez, I wish they'd done that in 2013 when we lost the All Blacks and they, they did <laughs> think myself and Jack McGrath coming off our feet. So uh, it was Nigel <laughs> Owens anyway. So. Yeah, it was. He's on the touch. Yeah, he's yeah. on the touch. Yeah, yeah poor Nigel thought he had Paddy's weekend off and all of a sudden he's been flown over like yeah. He, yeah. or he'll probably head up the road. But um, okay, so that's the first controversy dealt with. The second one, you'll all have been aware of this. Apparently we're all scumbags. Uh, <laughs> Well, I mean, firstly, it was a weird thing for any human being to say, I think, but like Eddie Jones described Ireland as the scummy Irish, he said of uh, Wales that it's um, a shitty little place or something like that. Now, that's probably fair enough, actually, about... (laughs) I'm only joking, Wales online, for the love of God, don't quote me on it. But it was... I I think, again, it's one of those things where... Like, it's... For me, as an Irish fan, I'm not remotely offended by that. It's nonsense. Uh, and I don't think the players will be particularly perturbed by it either. But it's more so from an English fan's perspective, it's a little bit embarrassing that your national team's <laughs> head coach is saying weird fucking things about other countries. Yeah, let's play the clip first. Let's, let's have a look at the clip. Yeah, we're trying to do that with England at the moment. So we've played 23 tests. We've only lost one test to the scummy Irish. I'm still dirty about that game. Um, but we'll get that back. We'll get that back. Don't worry. We've got them next year at home. We'll get them back. We'll get them back. I think we're playing in fourth round the Six Nations, so we'll get them back. Yeah, the number of times he said we'll get them back, I think he realised what a mistake he'd made. Oh, my God, what have I done here? Uh, like, for me, it's pretty clear that he's joking. Yeah, of course. Uh, like, I, 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 the outrage was instant, as it always is now with these kind of things. Uh, apparently, there was an Irish person in the crowd as well. So I don't know... 
I don't know was it, was it his misjudgment on his sense of humour, but yeah, when you're in that position, as England head coach, um, you've got to be very careful. I can't imagine Joe Schmidt making that kind of lighthearted joke uh, when he's giving a leadership talk either. No, certainly not. It was an intro- like, firstly, I think it's just a case of Jones probably thinks he's funnier than he is, and, and he just made a yeah. comment thinking, oh, this is banter, they love this. But, but also it was a year ago, you know? And it was second captains who dug this up on Twitter earlier, our friends at second captains who, who tweeted the clip, and all, like, mere hours later, or was it yesterday that the clip came out? But hours later, the RFU were releasing a statement of apology, but it was just a fairly offhand tweet by them yeah. to bring it up, and all well, of a sudden there's yeah. this major... I think he's a, I think he's a great character. I think it's great to have him and you know the likes of Gats. Gats is pretty Warren Gatlin's pretty outspoken and you know it's quite exciting as a as a fan and a supporter to see that kind of uh, you know the coaches getting stuck into each other and you know it's it's it just adds to the game I think. From a player's point of view, will any guys take motivation from that? I'm sure they will. I mean they're saying they're not, but uh, you know surely any, any you know a lot of games at test level you know it's all about one percenters and. Uh, you know what can you do to get a small small advantage? So I I don't think it'll be coming from the coaches. Uh, I really don't think they'll be driving that at all. Um, they'll just be concentrating, like they said in media, they'll be concentrating on their own plan, their own preparation, what they've done all all week of the Six Nations, and it's it's worked for them. But you know, there's no doubt. Obviously, the players with social media now they've seen the clip. They've you know they'll use, they'll probably use it as motivation for themselves if if anything. But I, I wouldn't have thought it's been brought up in camp in you know in a, in a meeting. Uh, as a player, Mike, how does it manifest itself as motivation? Because like, I, I find it hard to believe that you'd be buried at the bottom of a rock thinking, oh, Eddie Jones called the scumbags, you know? Like, yeah. is it a pre-game thing that you'd be a little bit more, not psyched up, but would, you, would it drive you that tiny bit more if you're talking about the one percentage? Uh, it might drive you a little bit during the week, but, uh, you know, soon, as soon as kickoff comes, you know, you're just tunnel vision, you're, you're kind of into robot mode, you're not thinking about it, you're just trying to play the best you can, be as physical as you can. Do what you're supposed to be doing as part of the game plan, and you know they w- they won't even think about it come kickoff. But maybe during the week they'll have it in the back of their minds, and uh, you know they might find it a, a bit annoying. But uh, you know, it's I think it's more I think I think it's more outside. <laughs> I think he's. I think he's pretty funny, though. To be fair. Ah oh, no, he's a, he's, a, yeah. he's a he's a good character. He's yeah. a misjudgment, and also it's a it's at an event behind those doors. You know what I mean? There is a context yeah. to it. He probably didn't realize he was being yeah. filmed. But anyway, that's the controversies dealt with. Well, we might have a, we have a semi controversy from Matt Williams that we'll deal with later. But let's get to the yeah. Ireland team. There's only one change to the twenty-three, which is probably understandable. It's uh, Ian Henderson is in for Devon Toner. Obviously, in that engine room now at uh, second row, you've got two weapons essentially um is it the right decision for you murray to uh bring henderson back into the fold toner can probably consider himself yeah. a little bit unlucky yeah i actually thought toner was going to start i think um obviously two really good players i'd be interested to get your thoughts on it but it, he's probably even looking a little bit longer term like that's your rugby world cup starting second row i think those two guys um, and james ryan has been absolutely exceptional even the last day again he did make a couple of handling errors but he had like 15 carries 14 tackles hit 37 rocks as well unbelievably energetic performance across the board so it's really interesting that he's now the first choice lock that he's always going to be in the team no matter how those two rotate out um, and it's a very very settled Ireland team nice element of experience and then you've got that youth you've got James Ryan Jacob Stockdale Bundy Aki in his first Six Nations as well although he is 27 and interesting to see Jordan Larmer on the bench as well I think um, it would have been tempting to go back to Fergus McFadden's experience but he's stuck with Jordan Larmer for that impact and possibly again looking a little bit more long term. Like Larmer has a big role to play in this team moving forward. But but Mike, what do you think 
of that second row, particularly in terms of the line out where Dev is. Yeah, so well, uh, James Ryan, like it's the, the rise he's had has been phenomenal at 21 years old. I mean, he was not long ago, uh, he was with the under 20s, they finished second place, they beat the All Blacks, and then you know, he finds himself Champions Cup, starting all the Champions Cup games, performing really well against Montpellier, two massive packs, and that's probably what gave Joe the confidence to pick him against France. Then he goes and plays France in Paris. And I don't know what the stats were, but I remember watching the game saying, I can't believe how, like, I played France a few years ago and I think I had three or four carries. He's having like 17 carries. Yeah. That's just a, a phenomenal amount of carries. And all the other work he does is defense, the br his breakdown. Uh, he's, he's a beast of a man. His last year, when I was at Leinster my last year, he was injured with a hamstring injury. I was injured, so I was in injured gym with him for a lot. And he's, um, he's a real specimen. He had to put a, he's got a big frame. He had to bulk up a bit. And, and he, yeah, he's a very, very big man. He's got a, a huge future. But uh, Hendy, I think Joe was alluding to today that that was part of the plan, Hendy on the bench and to bring him back for this England game. And great to have Dev, the experience um, on the bench to come on and cause, you know, really disrupt their line-out. Well, the good thing about Dev is they normally put him at the back of the line-out and line-out defence to, to force teams to win it off the front because it's a lot more difficult to play off ball that's won at the front. So if you've got Dev 6'11 standing at the tail of the line-out, you're pretty sure they're not going to throw there. So... Um, yeah, but I think the the key theme for this island team at the moment is is the strength and depth. I mean, you saw we started in the centres without Jared Payne. Uh, Robbie Henshaw unfortunately gets injured. Chris Farrell comes in, man of the match against Wales. Uh, and then the luxury of bringing in Gary Ringrose hadn't played a lot of rugby, and he was I mean he was outstanding for a guy who hasn't played played much rugby. It's the same. Tyke Furlong was out. Uh, Andrew Porter comes in, hasn't played much at Tighthead. Um, he comes in and you know had a, had a phenomenal game. And I suppose the key learnings from the 2015 World Cup, when you know that France game, then you lost the likes of Paul O'Connell, uh, C.J. Stander wasn't qualified, but Pete O'Mahony, Sean O'Brien, Johnny Sexton, Jared uh, Payne, Tommy Bow got injured very late. That's going to affect that would affect the All Blacks in a big way. So I think the key learnings um, were to you know build more strength and depth and. When you look at the squad now, it's just it's phenomenal, and mm. yeah, all the Six Nations is great. We're gonna we've won the championship, fingers crossed, the Grand Slam. But looking further forward to the next World Cup, it's uh, we're just looking like we're in a great position. Yeah, like Joe's given 33 debuts since the last World Cup. Like that's yeah. more than any other nation apart from France and the Six Nations. Like Scotland are as low as 18 new debuts since then. So he has this reputation almost as a conservative selector, but he's been really focusing on bringing that depth through. And as you say, like to have James Ryan there at 21, Jacob Stockdale, we were talking to him the other day, like it's like he doesn't, he happily doesn't realise the enormity of it. He's just like, whatever, I'll go and score two tries in, in Twickenham. But it's not by accident. Like those guys, and not just Joe bringing them through, like Jacob Stockdale played two years under 20s with the Irish under 20s. So like he was identified early, let's get him in there, get two years there, get him ready. Same with James Ryan. As soon as he was in fourth year in school, it was pretty obvious that they were kind of going to bring him through the pipeline. Andrew Porter as well, looking at, he was a loose head as recently as the under 20s. For Irish rugby, it was good for him to switch over to Tidehead, and Leinster rugby were, were happy to do that. So I think it's also like a credit to the model they have here. English rugby doesn't have that. Mm -hmm. um, everything, everything's working together for the, for the benefit of the national team, and, and those young guys coming through is, is absolutely a, a prime example of that. Uh, can I just say on that as well? I think Paul O'Connell was talking in the, in the week or last week about you know, how he's really trying to build that depth, and a, an example of that was when they one in South Africa, the first test away from home for the first time. He could have stuck with the same team, but he, I think he made five changes for the second test. So just showing he was looking at the long-term picture rather than yeah. the, the short term. And even like last summer, the USA-Japan tour probably goes under the radar. Yeah. Joe Schmidt was harping on about how important this is. And you, all, you tend to go, whatever, Joe, the lines are on. 
but it really was like Dan Levy started testing that and that tour and now he's like a really important player for Ireland Jacob Stockdale and James Ryan made their debuts there Ryan before he even even played for Leinster so yeah. there's always that long-term thinking and I think that may be slightly missed with Joe when, when he's criticized he's conservative here like Jordan Larmer being on the bench in this game is going to have a massive payoff when it comes to 2019 World Cup well I think that's the most important or most interesting aspect of the overall squad selection for this game is Larmer's position on the bench because if you go back to 2014 when we went to Twickenham and we went down 13-10 I think was the final score the name on everybody's lips that day was Simon Zebo because it was uh, Dave Carney and Andrew Trimble on the wings we couldn't really beat them on the outside even though we came close a couple of times and there wasn't that sort of penetration in the back three and everyone was thinking well you know we have a guy left at home in Simon Zebo who could maybe change the game like that and it was Fergus McFadden who came on for Trimble and it was sort of a much of a muchness and you know we, we lost and we won the championship but it could have been maybe a little bit better but Larmer at this juncture in his career is less experienced than Zebo was at that point and in a grand, grand slam decider he's keeping a better version of Fergus McFadden than played in 2014 off the bench and he's taking his place on the bench like, that's a massive vote of confidence in the guy yeah it is. was he there when you would he have started coming through when you were in Leinster Jordan Larmer. Jordan was he yeah he, uh, not, not to be honest he wasn't I didn't see too much of him but um yeah, he's. Uh, I think it's just his ability to, you know, he's out and out raw pace and the ability to step without slowing down. I think is is is, is key strength. But he like he wasn't really that much involved in my last year at Leinster. Yeah. Um, but I don't remember him skinning me anyway. So <laughs> yeah. you didn't yeah. see him. I'm sure I'd remember. Yeah. Mike, Mike Ross told us a story yeah. about getting skinned by him. Um, I, I think Rossi, I skinned Ross in joining. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I, I think he also has that mindset. Like he's 20, but. Uh, by all accounts he's already challenging senior players like he's not going there just to make up the numbers he's aggressive in training uh, and as well as that raw pace and, and skill like, like his rounded game is really strong ready even something small like hitting rocks he came on for six minutes the other day he only had to hit three rocks but he did it really well really effectively and, and Joe Schmidt won't have missed that uh, even in the Champions Cup he, when he had to deal with Nemanja Nadolo oh, yeah. uh, he, he, sh he showed that he learned as well he kind of gave him the outside shoulder rather than committing hard so he's learning very fast and I think he has that capacity to learn even faster so I think as well as looking forward he, he is there on merit he's, he's shown that he's he's good enough and it's really exciting for Irish rugby 100% it's one of those selections though that I wonder if it was two years ago would we have seen him on the bench you know what I mean like I wonder is it a sign firstly well it is obviously a vote of confidence in him but it is it a sign of where this team is going where all of a sudden Schmidt is a little bit more confident in I suppose his overall squad like and you're not looking for that sort of solid option off the bench you're looking for the Mercurial actually does him an injustice but like a, a phenomenal talent that maybe like we saw him get beaten by uh, by an Italian and it sort of cost a try so he's not perfect he's not the finished article and yet Schmidt is willing to take a punt on him like how much of that comes down to the fact that even though he's extremely highly regarded across Europe now as a, a proper danger man be it for Leinster or Ireland that you can't really predict what he's going to do because he hasn't been around for long enough for any defender to kind of decipher a, a pattern in his game like in terms of which foot he might step off what he might do Mm. Yeah, there, there's definitely a bit of an element of risk. But having said that, like Fergus McFadden also made a defensive error in, in, in that uh, Welsh try where he kind of bit in a little bit early. So it's not like every player is faultless. Like all these guys that make defensive mistakes, even the most experienced guys in the team. Um, and yeah, he's, he is more of a, an un, unknown ent entity for the English, but they'll have done their analysis. They know exactly what's coming. Um, but it's, it's going to be massively exciting. And when the game is uh, there for the taking in the last 10 minutes, whatever, him, him coming off the bench couple of tired forwards and using that footwork really it's, it's a it's a calculated risk and don't worry joe knows what he's doing so yeah, yeah. well he's watching so he'll be glad oh, to yeah. hear that <laughs> uh, oh, i mean in fairness just to 
finish on the Ireland squad. The bench has actually made a massive impact, particularly, I'd say, across the last two games. But, like, Jack McGrath, Sean Cronin, last week, Jordy Murphy carried very well when he came on. Uh, obviously, it's the same guys again this week. But it seems as though... It, would I be right in saying the bench is actually starting to make an even bigger impact than it has done in the last couple of years for Ireland, where they're properly... Eddie Jones was, I think it was Eddie Jones who coined the term finishers as opposed to substitutes. But these guys are coming on and killing games. Go for it. So, yeah, I think, um, I think the bench is a, is a big weapon for, for Ireland. You saw against Scotland, the guys came on and made a huge difference. Um, you know, the first 30 minutes, Scotland were, you know, showing us what they're capable, capable of, throwing the ball around, very dangerous. And, you know, another thing we're very good at is, is scoring at the right times. So against Wales, we scored just before half-time and just after half-time. Against Scotland, the same thing, just before half-time. Like, we're hugely efficient going into those kind of critical moments, critical times of the game. Um, so, you know, it's... Um, sorry, I've actually forgotten what was your question there. I've well, uh, just a minute. <laughs> I, I do tend to waffle on every now and again. No, so no, yeah, no, you're no, asking no, me about... Um, you're on the right track. Yeah. Fairness, it was oh, like the bench, we, sorry. Exactly, sorry, yeah, but we know... bangs to the head, sorry, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, it's no life. Yeah, no, the bench, it's, it's, it's a huge weapon. And, you know, for me, Geordie Murphy as well, he, he starred in that game against the All Blacks in Chicago. And, you know, he, he was fantastic. And he had the knee injury. He was out for kind of nine, ten months. And, you know, it's amazing that with the amount of talent and strength and depth, you know, he found himself falling back down the pecking order. He comes back and he's, you know, he's fourth, fifth choice. He's moving to Ulster to get game time. And for me, to see him come on, and he was fantastic. The, the amount of times he got involved, his carries, and it's great to see Geordie back to full fitness. But, yeah, the bench are making a hu huge impact, and that is a big thing from Joe. The guys coming on and, you know, really adding something, you know, yeah. they'd have, which something I haven't done before with other coaches, but, you know, Joe would sit down and have, you know, on a, on a it might, might be a Thursday, it might be a Tuesday, he'd actually, you'd have a, in the schedule, a meeting for the, for the bench. And, you, you know, you talk about how, how important your role is, is you're going to be coming on at a crucial part of the game, like a massive, you know, last 20 minutes, the game's going to be in the balance. You, you know, you're going to be finishing the game and, you know, how important your discipline is, how important it is you haven't got the reps in training, you haven't got as much time doing the plays as the other lads. So, you know, being up to speed and making sure you know exactly where you're meant to be, what you're meant to be doing, your discipline's good, your physicality is good. And, you know, I think that's just a great way of, you know, he's kind of telling the lads how important you are. Yeah, you're on the bench, you're disappointed, but you're there to add a huge amount of impact and you're going to be the, the winning, you know, it's that important. You're probably going to be the winning or losing of the game. And you see the guys coming on, Sean Cronin, Jack McGrath, Hendy last week, uh, Geordie Murphy, Kieran Marmion, they're, they're all, I mean, it's just the guys coming through now, they're all extremely physical, hugely dynamic, and they, they really add impetus uh, when they come on, you know, the likes of myself and Rossi, uh, you know, we're, we're dead and buried, there's no there's no one like that coming off the bench now, but, uh, you know, the guys... <laughs> That's a bit harsh. Well, back in the day, you know, I was <laughs> did my part, but... When you, <laughs> when you mentioned the, those meetings just for the bench, like, would you have, barring injury, of course, would you have an idea of roughly when you're coming on as an individual? <laughs> Not 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 really, not necessarily. I mean, probably just from experience of previous games, you might get an idea of uh, probably be coming on and yeah. There's you wouldn't have a guarantee of when you'd be coming on, but you'd expect to get. I suppose like you know, Sean Cronin probably knows he's going to get 15, 20, 25 minutes, and uh, you know he prepares prepares that way. But you see, when Sean Cronin has come on at other other games, he's you know what a what a phenomenal player uh, Sean is. So um, I think I think maybe it plays. Because he's so dynamic, it, it's a, it's kind of can be a bit of a negative for no, Sean because he, he just adds so much wow factor when he comes on off the bench. You know, you really want to utilize that and get the most out of him. So, 
Yeah, well, that kind of takes me out to the England team as well. And, and uh, I mean, Jesus, like, Jones has wielded the axe here. There's seven changes to their, to their uh, side. You've got new halfbacks, although Owen Farrell is moving into 10. George Ford has gotten the chop. Danny Kerr is on the bench. And uh, Richard Wigglesworth is nine now, 34 years old. Uh, as you mentioned to me earlier, it performed very well when he, uh, last week. But, you know perennially third choice not even second choice scrum half and yet here he is starting is we'll start with nine if you don't mind but is this a case of maybe you can hold your own with Wigglesworth in that position for an hour or so and then you have the impact of Danny Kerr coming off the bench whereas previously it would have been Ben Young's and then you'd have the Danny Kerr impact but with Young's gone it's just been care starting and you haven't necessarily had that massive impact off the bench. Yeah, I think it's uh, England looking for a bit of control. Um, they really have ripped it up, like seven changes. I think it sums up where they are. They're doubting themselves. They've changed everything. I think they're in change tactically. I think they're going to be a lot more direct. Like Carl Sinclair is a big, strong carrier. Farrell at 10 is more direct. He takes the ball to the line. Obviously, Ben Teo at 12 will do the same. Um, and Wigglesworth and Farrell playing together, the Saracens combination, two guys who have controlled games together before, that's massive for England because they're low on confidence now. And we've seen George Ford just go completely into a shell. He's shirking his defensive duties, not making those tackles, not taking the ball to the line. And even when you're under pressure, your, your halfbacks have to be the ones who who really feel they can turn the game. Like, you know, Owen Farrell's a big character. Those confidence may be short now after, after two defeats. He'll still put himself in those positions to make big decisions. That really wasn't happening. I think Wigglesworth will do the same. He has a really good box kick, so they'll compete early against Ireland. And even one win in that area early on in the game can, can really twist the momentum and, and give it back to England after those two losses. So, yeah, they're, they're changing a lot here. Uh, but I think it'll be more simple game plan, more direct. I think tactically they've been kind of muddy in their thinking, going out the back door a couple of times when really they should just be carrying. I think we'll see a lot more of that. So for me, it's definitely a better uh, England selection and also a pretty experienced bench to come on. Obviously someone new in Don Armand as well, who's been really good for Exeter Chiefs. So I'm pretty um, impressed with his team selection. I think they'll put up a, a lot more, a lot better showing than, than the last couple of weeks. What do you make of it, Mike? Yeah, it's uh, I saw that, that team says to me they're going to be yeah, they're coming to be hugely physical, hugely confrontational. Um, seeing you know from a forwards perspective, seeing Haskell back in there, Cruz back in there, you know, big physical, strong guys. Uh, maybe if from a you know the, the thing with Haskell is maybe you'd you'd worry from an English perspective you start giving a load of penalties away because he, he he can tend to do that. But uh, look, the lads, I was up at Carton House today. The lads are under no illusion how big a test it's going to be. That you know they haven't lost there under Eddie Jones. They haven't lost three in a row since 2006, I think it is. So. Uh, whenever you play England at Twickenham, it's uh, it's it's hugely physical, and the, the the amount of changes they've made, though, you wonder. Like, yes, they're good changes, and there's good guys coming in, but you see how settled that Irish team is playing together week in week out, and you know they get kind of thrown in together. How many changes is it? Six or seven? Seven, is it? seven, yeah. seven changes. Seven in personnel. They're kind yeah. of you know yeah, they might be looking good in training, but you get thrown together, and you know how are the systems? How you know, it takes time to. You know, you get better with time each game, and you know they've got one game to kind of gel and get the, the best out of each other. So uh, we'll see. But you know, England, England are wounded, and that's 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 the danger. They're wounded. Uh, they've lost two games, and um, you know they they really are hurting. They want to finish the campaign on a high, and uh, that's what makes it really exciting. There's the the carrot there for Ireland of winning the Grand Slam, um, and it's teed up to be uh, you know a great weekend. 100% and great to see our mate Dylan Hartley back as well. I couldn't have oh, yeah. looking forward Welcome to his back. return. But, <laughs> but in all seriousness, when you see, like, you look at the midfield where Benteo's moved to 12, Farrell's gone to 10, uh, Jonathan Joseph at 13, 
we do know what we're getting here. Like from the Irish players' perspective, is it incredibly difficult game to prepare for given there's a grand slam on the line like psychologically it's difficult to prepare for but like knowing you really do know what England are going to bring to the table here it is just going to be manic physicality mm-hmm. for 80 minutes does that make it easier as an Ireland player just knowing exactly what you're going to get on the day yeah they know like, they know what's coming up front and physicality wise I think I think we can really get on top of the scrum I mean just our front row and the depth in the front row we got you know J- Jack McGrath coming off Tyke Furlong back fit bestie unbelievable scrummager um, you know, I think I think that's a real edge we can get in the game up front, and that's you know, being on top in the scrum, being on top in the the mall, the line out mall, the de- de- line out defense of the mall is huge foundations in winning the game. And maybe when you look at the back line of England, it's it's laced with huge amounts of pace. So I think maybe one of the key learnings for for the Ireland team going into this game is just you know from past lessons of maybe the first game against Scotland last year is just making sure. They don't get caught out of the blocks, so they come out start well because we saw, you know, when you, you start slowly, you don't get out of the blocks away away from home. The game can get away from you. And then the other thing is the getting too narrow in defence, you know, slowing the ball down. We've got Levy there who's really good at slowing the ball down, so hopefully they won't be playing off too quick a ball. But when they are playing off quick ball, you know, just get, getting set, getting good spacings between your defenders. We saw in that Scotland game, first game last year, one pass from 9 to 10 was taken out four or even five defenders so having good spacings and then that that allows you to get your line speed to go forward and meet them rather rather than accepting the tackle when you're narrow and they get the space on the outside you kind of you, you're going soft and you're accepting the tackle so i suppose spacing in, de- in defense and not letting them play with quick ball would be the key learnings yeah i, th- I think we're just going to look at that midfield briefly before we move on um, I, I think this combination looked really good in the last 10 minutes against the French and that's why Eddie Jones has gone for the selection um, you talk about George Ford just coming back away from the, the gain line very lateral so they weren't challenging defenders um, taking the ball to the line before the pass so we're going to pick out here this is off a, a, a line out there's Jonathan Joseph there's O'Farrell and there's Ben Teo uh, the three guys set up to, to kind of create the line break um, and f- uh, it's interesting to see that Joseph is the one at first receiver. Um, you imagine him out in the 13 channel creating, but I think we'll see this a lot. Um, and the key what he does here is he actually takes a couple of steps forward to the gain line. You know, he doesn't actually draw a defender right in, but he's challenging the defense. He's not turned straight away um, so that he just sits down those guys inside briefly there. They're attracted to him before the pass goes out the back door to own Farrell. Um, and then the next wave of attack, you're going to see Ben Teo running this really direct line. Like we recognize that from Leinster. That's his absolute specialty. And the guy he's looking to take out of the game there is his opposite number, uh, Matthew Bastro. He's just going to get a little nudge on him there, probably illegal, but done subtly enough. And he's a real live option there before Owen Farrell goes out the back door. And um, you see there, he's just got the nudge on Bastro, and that's going to open up the space for, for um, Anthony Daly or Elliot Daly rather, to go through that hole. Um, and, and, the cr- and an easy line break, just based on, t- on two guys taking the ball to the line in, in Joseph and, and Farrell, being direct, being square, and then that really direct line from, from Ben Teo. They throw an offload here, um, and the French knock it into touch. F- directly from that line out, we see something very similar. There's Jonathan Joseph. He's the receiver in the line out. So he's, he's moved slightly in, um, and you're going to have the scrum half, w- Wigglesworth, coming from the front of the line out there to accept the ball uh, off the top as you see now, and Joseph has moved out beyond the 15. So he's going to be first receiver again. Again, Farrell's here, and you've got Ben Teo here. He's going to run that direct line again. Again, initially, you get that little shape off Joseph, but he's taken that ball to the line again. He's, he's accelerated on his first few steps, just interested defender, whereas George Ford was just shipping that ball on. 
Um, and him taking the ball to the line with Simmons running that line uh, just outside him, that attracts Boxis in. You see he's bitten in there because there's such a threat with their acceleration towards the line. Go out the back door to own Farrell again. Um, and now we rode to here, there's Bentio coming on that uh, very direct line again. But Bastro again is asked a really difficult question. He's now exposed there. Do I bite in on Farrell who's coming at me uh, or, do I t or do I step out and, and take Benteo? He decides to bite in. Uh, you see him there, he's just bitten in on, on Farrell. And away goes Benteo through, through the line. He chose this big, long pass. Uh, and it doesn't go to hand to, to Daly this time. Possible try if it does. But again, just highlights that threat. You get a nice little offload from, from Daly there to Simmons. And they do make ground out of it. But that kind of triple threat... Uh, Joseph is, is kind of seen as that creative uh, element a little bit wider out, but he also challenges the line. Teo does the same, Farrell does the same. So it's directness with a bit of subtlety as well. Um, and here we see Farrell, uh, we're talking about George Ford going to a shell. Here's Farrell uh, just bossing it, getting on the ball uh, when they're down. And it's a, a tight uh, French defence. Some good direct ball carrying from the forwards has, has created the opportunity. Um, and he doesn't take the easy option. He goes all the way to the width there to, to Daly and some lovely skills uh, just back inside to, to Johnny May. A class try. But that's an example of Farrell's, I, I think, his personality as well as his skill level. Uh, stepping up, uh, leading the team. There was another example where they created a massive overlap and he was screaming for the ball. Unfortunately for them, it was, it was ignored. But um, for me, that, that trio in midfield really strengthens them. A lot more direct. I think it's going to be more difficult for guys like Ringrose and Aki. Uh, uh, and that combination between the two of them and Johnny Sexton. So for me, it's a, it's a, it's a big plus for the English. 100%. Well, we'll look at one of the men tasked with combating that after the break. And a reminder to you guys as well that we are giving away an Ireland jersey. Uh, so if you have got any questions or if you want to take 15 minutes to think, think of a question, uh, please do. Uh, but we'll um, call that halftime. So anybody who wants to go get a drink and whatever, work away. And we'll chat to you in about 10 or 15 minutes. Cheers. Hey, so. <laughs> Welcome back. <laughs> are you all sorted? Yeah, I think we are. Before we left... Um, you were talking about England's midfield and their strength uh, going into this one. You were impressed also by Gary Ringrose, particularly on the defensive side of things against Scotland. Very mature, obviously, uh, whether he's on the back foot or not. Uh, you're going to take a look at uh, some of his defensive prowess. We're just going to look at, at one little clip here. Um, it kind of highlights how intelligent the defender he is. Uh, like the 15-year channel was a, was a big issue um, in the previous games. It was talked about a lot before this, this Scotland game, and they did get cut out there once for that channel Gary Ringrose was exceptional in my eyes and um, he he made 12 tackles but a lot of his kind of coverage play as well was was really impressive we're going to see here as, as Scotland go go to the width on, on the off a line out kind of strike um, and Nick Grigg the the first center gets on the ball they're going to get a, a, a kind of decoy line just outside him um, and the kind of issue for Ireland is that Bundyaki just inside Ringrose here there's Ringrose and um, they obviously want to stay connected in defense but um Ring ro or Aki rather is going to have to pick up this second decoy line uh, when 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 Scotland used their second screenplay. You see here now uh, that that Aki has to focus here, and and Ringrose actually will roll it back a little bit. Actually, he actually kind of backs away. So instead of kind of shooting up with that line speed, Ringrose actually slightly backs off, and he's just going to buy time for Aki to slide past that second uh, screenplay. You see there, so. Ringrose has gone all the way back there, but now Aki can get on beyond that screenplay uh, out the back door, and now Ringrose can shift. So he's actually gone slightly backwards just to stay connected because he knows he needs to have that inside defender at all times. Like it's so easy for him to have, if we roll back again, 
it's so easy for him at this point to go, hang on, I can see that play out the back door, I'm going to rush up here. And then if there's good handling from Scotland, they're in behind, they potentially score a try. Instead, he just eases off, allows him to stay connected to Aki, and now when they get to the outside edge, you can see that they're going to have a, a three-on-three. Now, Stockdale does miss the tackle, just slips off it here, but there's Ringrose coming in uh, and getting a high tackle on, on Stuart Hogg, and there's Aki as well. Now he's across the pitch. They stayed connected, the two centres, and when that offload goes, it's Aki who makes the interception, uh, and it's a turnover for Ireland off a, off a first-phase attack. So just a little example highlighting Gary Ringrose's intelligence for me as a defender. You know, you can't always bring that line speed, even if that is your defensive system. Sometimes you have to stay a little bit softer, a little bit more uh, passive even, just to stay connected on your inside edge. And, and I, I suppose you could probably tell us, like, that's a, that's a huge thing for, for a Joe Schmidt. Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned it there, but Gary's he, he's, he's very, very clever at, you know, kind of reading the defensive situation. And, you know, if, if Gary goes hard, he normally makes a tackle, and you have to make the tackle. If you go out the line, you, you know, in the video session... If you don't make the tackle, you, you know, you, if you decide to go out the line, you have to make the tackle and finish the tackle off. Otherwise, if you miss the tackle, it'll be shown up in the video session. But he's just very clever. And, you know, it's all about connecting, keeping a chain, keeping the defenders together. And he just buys time for Bundy there so he can, you know, he, he's realized they're, 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 they're down numbers in defense. The attack have got the advantage of an extra few players. So they normally have three calls. Um, this is an island now, but there's normally three calls. Most teams would have like a, a call to go hard when you've got numbers. Uh, you've got more more defenders and attackers, and it means you can get good line speed. You've got good spacings. You can get up and get hard in the in the, in the attacker's face. And then you've got you know a soft call when you're in you're in trouble. You're down down numbers in defense, and it's all about sticking to the system, not panicking, not trying to solve things on your own. Just everyone working together. That small small talk, small communication and, and, you know, building that chain, connecting together. And that's exactly what Robbie's done there. He's built, um, created time for, for Bundy to connect with him. So Yeah, I think that decision-making yeah. is key. Like, just reading the situation. Yeah. In, in other matches, maybe they come with the line speed. Uh, come with the line speed even when they were numbers down and they yeah. paid the price on the outside edge. So for me, yeah. it looks like they're getting a, a bit more intelligent. And even Stockdale sat off a couple of times rather than herring away. And then when he got his chance in the first half, he took that inset pass. Yeah. How much of that is... I suppose, like, skills that he's accrued over the years and how much of it is almost instinctive or just good rugby IQ. Because very often with players in their early 20s, these are facets of the game that we would expect them to have to develop as they go. And yet Ringrow seems to have this innate ability to figure out where he should be. Even that uh, example you showed there where he drops back. Like, it, it seems like extremely... Again, I suppose mature, uh, a mature approach to defence. Yeah, he's an extremely intelligent guy. Like, um, did really well in his in his studies as well, and he's in college. Um, but he's an extremely intelligent defender in terms of how he works off others, and he's worked with Brian O'Driscoll. Don't forget that. Like when he first came into camp, they were doing one on ones. Uh, he's picking up that experience as well. Um, and yeah, he's just Im improved and improved. And it's easy to forget. Like I think we all did forget when he came back in just how good he was before that injury. He was very close to making the Lions tour. Andy Farrell was pushing to have him in there. And Gatland, I think, would probably recognise that he probably should have gone with him over, over Jonathan Joseph in the end. So um, a really exceptional player. And, and it's exciting for Irish rugby again that he's going to be there for however many years to come. I think, I think it's just an example of everyone working off the same page. I mean... You saw, you saw with Robbie and Bundy working together. They've, they've, they've played together before at Connaught. They know, they know in each other inside out. For Gary to come in out the cold hasn't really played much rugby, and you know to be able to be on exactly on the same page as Bundy with limited time training together. That's just you know it's great to see that the you know how how they're working together. And you know that's the thing with this Irish team is 
everyone knows exactly what they're doing, what their role is, what their job is. And a big thing with Joe is when you're going into a, a game, a test match, whatever, is you know your detail, you know what you're meant to do, you know what you're meant to do. Like you could technically play the game on the Tuesday or the Wednesday because everyone knows the game plan, everyone knows exactly what, what the strategy, what the tactics are, everyone knows it. So by the time you come to the game at the weekend, all, all you need to bring is the discipline and the physicality. And, you know, for, for me, having worked with some, like I've played for a good few teams and, you know, I've worked with other coaches and, you know, you'll be going into a Thursday team run and you're still not 100% sure, you know, what exactly we're meant to be doing here. What's, you know, what's my role here? So with Joe, you have that actual 100%. It gives guys confidence. They're going into the game. They're knowing if I know exactly where I should be, what I'm meant to do, what lines I'm meant to be running. And you, you generally, you go into the games with confidence because, you know, like I said, the, the two things you need to bring then is the discipline, not give stupid penalties away, and you know just bring the bring controlled physicality, and you're very confident you'll be in a good place and to to win the game. They're definitely well oiled at the moment, Ireland. Have we seen the best of them? Do you think, Mike, or is there more to come? I suppose if you look at this tournament, uh, we've scored 17 tries compared to when we won a Grand Slam in 2009. It was I think 11 or 12. Uh, now the game has changed admittedly since then, but. Still, when you look at the Scotland game, particularly the first half, there were opportunities that Scotland threw away. It might have been a, a different game had they maybe a couple of those long passes gone to hand. Wales was nip and talk until the very end. Um, obviously, France was a last-second drop goal, and yet here we are chasing a Grand Slam. Do you feel as though, even within this tournament, more so than looking ahead, that they have this sort of almost season-defining performance in them? Yeah, I think they just ground teams down and frustrate teams and, you know, they're just, like, if they win the Grand Slam, I was reading that they're going to be probably the best Irish team there's ever been. I mean, there's, Test match rugby is all about very small margin. One percenters, you know, make make a big difference. You know, you could give a penalty away, it could cost you the game. One missed tackle could cost you the game, which in a in a in a Pro 14 or a Champions Cup game that may not be the case. But um, you know, as I said before, what they've achieved and being South Africa for the first time away from home, beating the All Blacks, winning the Championship 2014, 15, 18, and now hopefully the Grand Slam. I mean, w when you look at what what has been achieved, it's it's pretty phenomenal. So, yeah, I think. Um, I think yeah, it's and, and leading into the next World Cup, it's it's all looking very very encouraging at the moment. Yeah, and for all our progress, Murray, I suppose there have been a couple of examples. I think that you're going to look at it in a second where things might have been a little bit more comfortable for us. Again, for yeah. we, we mentioned Scotland's execution maybe going awry a little bit, but chances where we spurned the opportunity to to make a game uh, or to put a game to bed. Yeah, well, I think this is a strength of Joe Schmidt. No matter how impressive the performance is, there's always something that he focuses on in a negative light. When they lose, then he'll point out the positives. Um, he's really good at managing that aspect of it. Um, and after this match, himself and Richie Murphy have both kind of referenced a couple of uh, passes that they didn't give on the outside edge a couple of times. Let's have a look at them. Like, you know, they scored four tries, but in Joe Schmidt's mind, they could have had seven. They could have had six or seven, you know? So we're going to have a look at example here. Uh, Tyke Furlong's going to get on the ball here. They're attacking their own... They're in possession in their own half and generally this would build towards a kick but what Tyke Furlong gives them is a massive kind of gain line advantage he's going to carry in here he's going to use his power and kind of pirouette out of the tackle really impressive carry just exceptional strength and aggression gets them right over the gain line dragging in all those Scottish defenders and now they're really tight to the ruck so opportunity beckons out wide you're going to get Ringrose running that unders, uh, unders line and Bundyaki at the back door 
Um, and Ringrose's line does just enough to hold Peter Horn in there briefly. And that's going to allow Bondiaki to just get outside him uh, and draw in that second last defender. Something he maybe didn't do at the very start of the championship. Now he's doing it really well. I think he's grown into this championship really impressively. Um, and you can see here he gets to the outside edge, gives that pass to Rob Carney. And now it's a clear two on one. You can see Earl's there uh, indicating already. He sees the opportunity. But unfortunately, the pass just doesn't go. You know, if, if that pass goes there from, from Carney, uh, when we run it on, you can see the opportunity. Not only Earl's going here, but all these guys working hard on the inside. You got Ringrose, Murray, uh, and Johnny Sexton there. You know, that's a potential try in Joe Schmidt's unbelievably demanding eyes. Um, and it's one they'll, they'll think they missed, you know? And there's a similar example here. They're in the 22 attacking. Uh, they've bounced back against the grain really well in this championship. Connor Murray sees the opportunity here. There's just disconnect in that uh, Scottish defence and, and Grant Gilchrist there is exposed. Dan Levy's also seen the opportunity. He's going to accelerate into that hole. Um, and again, he's going to put them onto the gain line where they have been kind of battering through the phases. Uh, Sexton's looking for a hard line here. And again, possibly that, that uh, out the back door pass. Instead, he decides to carry. But still, on the next phase, we're going to see the opportunity for Ireland. Uh, Murray plays it again. He skips that ball past those two ball carrying forwards there. They've done that really well. Um, to, to the kind of center out there. And you see what it does. Horn is the guy again. He commits into those two ball carriers. Um, and now you've got a three on two. And like we are being uh, hypercritical here. It's, it's unbelievably hard on, on the handling in such a narrow space. But Joe Schmidt will say that that's a three on two. Um, and Carney just tucks it. He backs himself to get over the line when Earl's is in clear space. And um, this is one of the set piece plays. We'll come back to this uh, actual set piece play in a while. But Gary Ringrose, lovely footwork. He's isolated uh, Peter Horn there. And you see that sharp step in off his right foot, that lovely footwork and darting pace. Um, but when he gets through the line, you can see here now, Earls has worked hard. Sexton and Conor Murray, they've been ahead of the ball from the other side of the ruck. Um, and Schmidt will, will ask Gary Ringrose why he has that ball tucked in one hand now, coming towards the final defender. If you can get that back in two, it allows him possibly to dummy or also to hit one of those guys. Um, and... You know, you can see Johnny Sexton here. He's the king of throwing out his arms in exasperation. <laughs> he does it all the time. But he's right. He, he throws his arms out. He's like, why aren't you giving me that pass? I'm under the post uh, for a try. So I think Arnold will pick out those little examples um, because Joe Schmidt is a perfectionist. And I think it's a positive thing that he's going to drive with his players. Look, we haven't performed as well as we can. There's still more left in us. We've left tries out there in every game. Our defense hasn't been good enough in every game. So um, I think we'll see a, a peak performance from them in this game. Mike, I don't mind saying that I'm a huge fan of Rob Carney, like a man who gets an awful lot of criticism, but I, what I love about him is that he seems to have to run with more fervor than the average human being purely to reach parody with any other. He's like a throwback in a way. And I think he's, like, I thought he deserved man of the match, you know, those examples aside, I thought he deserved man of the match last weekend. I can't help but feel, though, that looking ahead to a World Cup, when you've got a guy like Jordan Larmer, Given how prevalent the fullback can be for Ireland in sort of broken play, and we've seen examples of it with Carney there, are we missing that tiny little bit of dynamism from 15 that maybe someone like Larmer can give you where Carney, as great as he is, doesn't quite have the pace? He, he was never hugely reliant on pace, but probably isn't quite as fast as he was a couple of years ago. Yeah, I, th I think it's getting that blend of um, experience and young guys coming through with that dynamism, as you say. But, you know, hopefully Bestie and Rob do make the next World Cup because, you, you know, you certainly need their experience. I think with Rob, he's, you know, a lot of the time he's been kind of written off. I remember... Mm. 
before that All Blacks game in Chicago, everyone was saying, oh, I, I, can't, I think Rob was out with a hamstring injury, came back and played maybe one game or not even any games. And you know, everyone was saying, how is, Rob, how is Rob starting? There's guys who are playing really well for their provinces. Um, but you know, Rob came back in, Joe backed him, and um, he's a big game player. He came back in and was probably one of the best players in that, that win in, uh, in, in Chicago. So uh, yeah, I'm looking at those couple of examples. Yeah, they're clear-cut opportunities and they're definitely things that will come up in the review. And the exciting thing is that we're scoring four tries, but we're, we've left probably two or three or four out there. After the game, Gregor Townsend was saying, oh, we bombed two chances. Well, you know, seeing that, we bombed three chances. So, you know, like... Uh, we're better than you, Scott. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it. So, yeah, no, it's... You c I think you can... You're always looking for that perfect performance and... Uh, you know, we can see there that, you know, to get that perfect performance, there's, you know, two or three opportunities uh, we, we could have taken and the score could have been, uh, you know, a bigger score. Funny yeah. enough, I think we all probably live in Joe Schmidt's world now. Like, every supporter, every pundit, analyst, after every game, they'll be picking out the flaws more so, I feel, than they would have pre with previous Irish teams because he sets that, that, that agenda, really. comes into the press conference and says the defence wasn't good enough and everyone focuses on the defence for the week, whereas they've just won a championship and... And even us, we're still talking about what could have been better. I think that's uh, symptomatic of, of how Joe Schmidt is as a coach. It's, it's, it's like that first game in France. Um, there was a lot of criticism about the attack, but you look at the weather conditions, how the breakdown was reft. France defended unbelievably well. I think they made 253 tackles. Gerardo, the hooker, equaled the record of number of tackles in Six Nations. They defended really well. Um, so, you know, it's very hard to play. Uh, and they were creating opportunities the first half an hour. But, you know, we keep saying that such small margins are Six Nations. And, uh, you know, to go out and win a Grand Slam, it's, uh, it will be a phenomenal achievement. Yeah, well, you mentioned small margins. And going back to 2013, in the five competitive games Ireland and England have played, um, I think it's an uh, England lead on aggregate by six points. That's how close we're talking over five years. Uh, Ireland have scored one try in each of their last three visits to Twickenham. You would expect they're probably going to need more than that this weekend, or at least they're going to need to build on one try if they score it. Like, I suppose as an overall package, how different is this Ireland team now as a prospect uh, for England than the last two or three teams that would have visited London? I think it's a much better attacking team. Like You mentioned the France game there, and uh, you mentioned Matt Williams earlier on, and maybe some of the criticisms. Uh, well, he said we're bored. It was, I think he, you're, he was entitled to say it. It was just like, we'd literally just won the championship. And he's like, ah, I mean, what, we, we're no yeah. longer the underdogs. We're boring, but we're no longer the underdogs. It's like, Jesus, calm down, man. Like, yeah. Enjoy it in for fairness, five yeah. minutes at least. In fairness, he's entitled to his opinion. And I guess the style of rugby doesn't marry up to what, he, what his ideal is. But I think it's unfair on um, the evidence, if you look through those games, uh, I think we have some of the stats on, on the try scoring and, and where Ireland's tries come from, if only you can, can get that up, up for us. And like a lot of the tries, you know, 17 in this championship, you got six from lineouts in, in opposition 22. <laughs> you, you know, a lot of lineout scrum platforms in the opposition 22, a couple of interceptions and a couple of turnovers. But even if you look at what leads up to the, to the five meter chances, like take that power play try that ended with Jacob Stockdale's second try against the Scots. The build up to that was a turnover. James Ryan offloads. They go to with lovely little tip on pass from Gary Ringrose and Rob Carney makes a big line break. Um, or you think about Wales, Dan Levy's try where he, they batter and batter and batter and eventually he goes over with a bit of help from Rory Best. The build up play to that was Sexton putting Carney into a hole, offload, Earls destroys Halfpenny with his footwork, offloads inside to, to Murray and, and he juggles it. Then they go into their kind of more direct uh, play in the 22, which every team does. So I think 
even just focusing on those stats, yeah, it looks like everything is so reliant on, on the set-piece platform. And, and to an extent, extent, it is, and England will see that as a weakness and try and target the, the set-piece. But also the build-up play, for me, has, has had a lot more variety. Think of Johnny Sexton playmaking against Wales, little inside passes, a lot of line breaks. Earls has had a few line breaks. Um, and I think that aspect of their game has developed a lot. We probably haven't seen as much of the forward linking pass as we thought based on November. Um, but still, a lot of guys are handling the ball regularly. CJ Sander now has an option to pass every time instead of just carrying all the time. And, and for me, they have definitely progressed as an attacking force. I, I certainly find them exciting to watch. And, um, and I think on top of that, then, the set-piece stuff that they come up with, like that power play, uh, three phases, Gary Ringrose coming on the loop around Bondiaki. Like For me, that was exciting rugby, even if it was very patterned. Um, so, yeah, like in my opinion, they're... they're enjoyable to watch but I, I can see why Matt would maybe say that what do you make of that um, well as Matt pointed out to, in fairness it wasn't necessarily a criticism it was more an observation and he was talking about how well oiled they are they're machine like in their approach and that he didn't um, find it particularly exciting and yet he was enthused by their success uh, I'm interested to know given you play for Leinster and there would have been some amazing rugby played and you know obviously in games for Ireland there would have been games where you not even come out of your shell but I'm sure there would have been days where you trot off thinking we scored some really nice tries there when you're watching this Ireland team are you entertained does it even matter like they're champions of Europe I I find them pretty exciting to watch to be honest so like I'm not uh, you know results speak for themselves I mean if they win to a Grand Slam if they win the Grand Slam Joe spoke about winning 3-0 I mean I think we'll all be pretty excited if we win the Grand Slam. Um, you know, I, d- I think we j- I think we maybe get a little bit greedy. The the, the, the guys they're doing phenomenally well, aren't they? I mean, we're talking about the best the best Irish side in history, possibly. Um, so yeah, I mean, yeah, I certainly don't find them boring to watch. I I I, I really enjoyed the game. I was there uh, there last week and I really enjoyed it. So. Uh, yeah, well, it's entertaining. Like there's always there's like you mentioned Larmer possibly coming in at fifteen. There's always scope mm-hmm. for more more creativity. You know, if you get Joey Carberry into the team at some stage, a second playmaker. Like, I thought that was encouraging to see Ringrose, even though it was in a very patterned uh, power play kind of set piece, getting on the ball twice in the one passage. You know, that's encouraging to see because there is a lot of responsibility on Johnny Sexton to be the creator, especially in phase play. Um, And he does that brilliantly. um, But Ringrose there in the team, as well as his possible passing ability that's going to develop, he has that footwork as well. Uh, You know, even before the the fourth try that Sean Cronin scored, it comes from a five-meter mole, and you can go, oh, Ireland are so reliant on that. But the passage that led up to that penalty to kick in the corner was Ringrose uh, absolutely ruining Hugh Jones with a little step, a lovely fend, all the way up to the 22. Suddenly, Scotland are under massive pressure, and they concede a penalty. So that, for me, was creative, exciting attacking play um, from a guy who, Ringrose, who is hopefully going to grow into that second playmaker, both with his footwork and his handling ability. I suppose if this is the big debate, really, we're not doing too badly. Uh, We've won the Six Nations, we're in a Grand Slam showdown at Twickenham, and we're arguing as to whether it's boring or not. It's been pretty fun (laughs) so far, I think. I'm I'm interested, um, Mike, in, I suppose, from the perspective of a team that has seen their championship defence or just their championship, their title tilt, end prematurely, in England's case, We'll hear, obviously, and we have heard that, you know, once you put on the international, your national team's jersey, it is a bit representing the country and the pride and whatever, and, and the motivation will look after itself, particularly with Ireland coming to town. But how debilitated do you think they will have been by those last two defeats? Like, it's eight years since they lost two games in the Six Nations. They seem to be the team that were gunning, like, probably, a, I wouldn't say necessarily ahead of Ireland in terms of their progress, but they were certainly more widely tipped to, to do something in 2019 than Ireland were. And all of a sudden, 
it's almost like they're back at base camp and it's it hasn't quite worked out for them now i'm not by no means saying they're finished and i'm sure they'll come again mm -hmm. but going into this game having lost two what's yeah. that mindset going to be like I suppose, I suppose the worry for Ireland going to Twickenham is we know it's going to be hard, but on the back of them losing two games, um, you know, their backs are to the wall. They're kind of like, a, you know, I'd liken it to being like a, a caged dog that hasn't been fed for a while, being prodded with a stick. They're, they're going to be hurting. They're going to come firing out the blocks. And, um, you know, the, the worry is that, you know, it, sometimes that can really galvanise a team when you're... when noise from the outside coming in that you know you, you you're playing poorly individuals are, are playing poorly and you know it can actually that gets to a point where it starts to you know it actually galvanizes the team brings real unity and you a real good a really big performance comes out that's what my worry was when we went to france for the first game france had been doing very poorly poor results um you know coach had gone new coach came in and you know that i was you know i was concerned that there was going to be a big performance in france and they did play very well but uh yeah that's that's the that's would be my only concern for the for the guys i'm very confident of them going to twickenham and and you know they're in great shape they've been playing really well but uh just you know mentally just as long as we're where we have been for all the other games and you know in the past i think irish teams have been maybe better when they're the underdogs but i don't think that's a concern with joe i know joe will have them mentally and physically uh, you know as as uh, at the best point they could possibly be at but um yeah there's no doubt england gonna be, are going to be hurting they want to finish the campaign on a high and ireland want to win the grand slam so it's all teed up for a, a great weekend just on the england thing like a guy who probably was entitled to have a little rice smile this week and probably didn't because he's such a nice guy is Stuart lancaster because he probably looks at england now and, and sees it as a very similar position to the 2015 world cup like the same questions are there who's your 12 who's your 10 who's your seven um, is your captain really a good choice? You know, they haven't really f resolved those issues beyond doubt. You know, Farrell goes into 10 now, Teo comes into 12. Uh, at 7, Haskell is, what, 33, is he 34 even possibly? Probably it would have been Underhill if he was fit for this, but Rob Shaw's been playing there after being criticised by Eddie Jones himself. So I think Lancaster will probably look at it and go, I wonder how much he's really done to push things on. Um, and those questions are massive now for Eddie Jones. He has to solve them. Um, and he does seem to have a bit of doubt about himself. You know, he's saying this week, maybe I should bring in an attack coach. I think he's going to change up the shape they use in attacking play. Um, and he's asking all those questions about his selection. Whereas in Joe Schmidt, Ireland have a coach who exudes confidence in what he's doing. Like you talk about how well prepared the players are. They can just focus on physicality. Mm -hmm. And like just as an example of that, we want to look at one of the little set piece plays because this is where Joe Schmidt, one of his real strengths, he's so creative. Um, and the fact that we mentioned that Stockdale Troy, I mentioned it again, the fact that that worked gives just so much confidence to players. Like Joe gave us this move, it worked perfectly, we scored a try off it. Um, and even though this one doesn't result in a try, it just shows his l little clever thinking. And we saw the move before, we saw Ringrose go through on the line break. If we go back to November against Argentina, we, say, we see exactly the same position on the pitch. Conor Murray's going to feed the ball there. Um, and they're lined up in exactly the same way. Uh, almost exactly the same way you know midfield scrum here you got uh, Sexton and Aki and Stockdale down here um, and Murray breaks off the side of the rook and you can see after scrum rather you can see these defenders all being attracted across here now the the, the difference this time is Aki actually goes over Sexton and Sexton comes underneath him there um, and that just gives a little kind of early cue uh, to, to the Argentinians to push back to that to that uh, left hand side of their their scrum. Also note Stockdale here, he's, he's showing nothing, you know, his hands aren't up. Uh, Sexton Price, similarly enough, he's not really showing that much, he's not really a, a viable target. So the kind of body language is poor, Argentina can shift straight across. Uh, Aki throws that pass maybe a little bit early to, to Chris Farrell. 
and you can see here the Argentinian defenders are already uh, closing up into that space. Um, he sees nothing in front of him, has to hit Adam Byrne, he's got two defenders on him. Uh, it's a real mess of a, of a kind of first phase attack uh, and he gets tackled uh, just behind the gain line. The forwards have to get around the corner uh, to get to that ruck. When we come to the Six Nations, you know, Joe Schmidt hasn't used this play since. He's been storing it away and he's made a slight little tweak. He's make, making sure that his players, the next time they execute it, months later, are going to be ready. Even before the ball goes, you can see Stockdale here, hand up. I'm a target. Uh, also, he's made a tweak in that Aki is going to come underneath Sexton, and Sexton's going to go in front of him here. So Sexton is more of an th instant threat to the defensive line, uh, and his, his kind of body language is really good as well. That animation that Joe Schmidt talks about, both those guys look like they could potentially get the ball. There's a lot more threat. Um, and when they switch underneath, it's later. So now Aki, after all these guys have been really drawn across, the back row from the Scots uh, has been drawn across onto that right-hand side, when he throws that pass out to, to Gary Ringrose, it is a one-on-one, -on -one, you know? And Peter Horn is straining to get across the pitch there. He could potentially go through the hands to those outside options, Earls uh, and Carney, who are really on, but he backs his footwork with loads of space. Um, and he beats his man away to go. <laughs> and we know how that one ends, unfortunately. But for me, it's just an example of how ahead of the game Schmidt is with these little things. One little tweak, Aki gets underneath Sexton, ensuring his guys have that animation, you know, I'm a viable target for the ball. Um, and I think we've seen loads of, loads of examples of that across, the, across the, the, the tournament. Good animation, good discipline, all the little kind of pillars of the game. And now the confidence in their attack ha has increased on top of that. So for me, Schmidt is a, a massive factor in all this as well. He's, he's the guy who's driven everything. Um, and I think he's in a, a competitive advantage before Saturday. And, and that's a small detail we talk about. I mean, in camp, on a, often on a, even sometimes when the guys come back into camp on a Sunday night or a Monday, um, the guys would go to a sports hall and they'd walk through plays and moves that they want to use. Um, and it's all about, you know, running the exact lines as we talk about that animation. Even, you know, guys working off the ball, you know, that work off the ball creates space for players elsewhere. We saw that clip there, you said, where um, who was on the wing was, you know, the Stockdale, I think, Stockdale, didn't have his yeah. hands up the first one, the, the next one he did. So, you know, just just animation, getting your hands up, holding defenders and creating space for other players. And a lot of the time, Joe will pick players and, you know, you, you watch it on the TV, you might think, oh, he had a pretty quiet game. And, you know, to, to the viewer, he may have done, but it's the work they do off the ball, creating space and creating opportunities for other players that, you know, Joe sees, Joe sees all of that kind of stuff, whether it's, you know, a breakdown, you know, clearing past the ball, you know, like clearing past the ball, taking a defender off his feet, making it, making it more difficult for their defenders to get around the ruck because you've gone past the ball, you've taken a defender off his feet and created... Um, made it difficult for that guy to get around. So it's all the, it's all the very small detail that Joe will see, um, and that is reflected in his, his selections. You're especially dark arts at the Rock. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. That's one of my strengths, wasn't it? Yeah, so, yeah. We should have got a few examples of that. Uh, that would have yeah. been good. Next yeah. time. Next yeah. For the next yeah. Grand Slam. Um, we'll take a couple of your questions in a minute, if we uh, could get people prepared there just to pass around the microphone and whatnot. I was interested, uh, Mike, to ask you... Uh, ask me, ask me, come on! We mentioned it, well, we mentioned it there, like, that... Murray, you mentioned it that England now all of a sudden find themselves at a juncture where, you know, a year and a bit out from um, a World Cup, they're not quite where they expected to be and they're probably not quite where they thought they were. And whereas Ireland are without, and there's no need to get carried away with ourselves, we are guilty of that at times, but we're just mouldering along nicely, we'll say, for now, ahead of Japan. Mike, how have England wound up at this juncture? Like, where has it gone wrong for them, do you think? That's a tough question. I, I, I'm not sure they were going, you know, I th they were going unbelievably well. And um, 
it was kind of a role reversal of the last Six Nations where um, England were coming to the Aviva. Um, they, they'd won the championship and they were going for the Grand Slam. And um, yeah, I, t I don't know. I'm not sure. They've, they, they've had a lot of injuries. Let's, let's be honest, they have had a lot of injuries. And um, I suppose Eddie Jones is saying, you know, teams do go through these kind of rough patches. And, you know, they're going through a bit of a rough patch. And, you know, it's all about the learnings going towards the next World Cup and, you know, it's a speed bump. They'll learn things and, you know, for them, hopefully it'll make them better. Um, no, hopefully it won't. Like no, for them. That's why I said <laughs> for them. Hopefully it'll make them better. But Very from me. their point of view. <laughs> but, um, yeah, it's all about, you know, you learn from your mistakes and, you know, f from their end, if you, go in, if you go into a World Cup and you haven't lost a game, you know, the, you, you're teed up for the wheels to fall off. So you, I suppose, from the, again, from their end, you'd rather it happen, you know, before the World Cup and uh, be peaking at the right time. 100%. Like Mike mentioned it there, it is a role reversal. And if the 12 months have shown us anything, it's that teams can turn their fortunes on their head within 12 months. So I presume, Murray, as much as we might be basking a little bit in this yeah. at the moment, England are going to be yeah. there or thereabouts. Let's next not write them off just yet. Like for no. this game, no. they could be there or thereabouts. I, yeah. I really think it's going to be unbelievably tight again. Um, yeah, a couple of underperformances, like the breakdown, we probably haven't mentioned enough just yet. That's been a huge issue. Um, and when you fix that, oh, sorry, also. By fixing their gain line, like Sinclair, Tio, guys like that, getting over the gain line, that'll help fit the, fix the breakdown. They're going to put an extra body into the breakdown now. They're going to have a little bit more support around the ball carrier. Yes, that tightens them up in terms of their attack. But something as small as that can change the whole narrative. And, and next week you'll be talking about how good England are. They could have had a big win over Ireland. You know, it's, it's small little details they'll be focusing on rather than having that big philosophical discussion. I, I think, th think Vunapola has been a huge loss for them. At exactly, eight. I, mean, yeah. I think there was a stat there that the amount of metres he carried the last Six Nations, he's carried more metres than the whole team put together in this Six Nations. So that just emphasises what a loss he is. I mean, he carries, he, he brings in you know two three even four defenders and that's obviously going to create a lot of space elsewhere so he's been a he has been a huge loss for them yeah one, they'll be there there for the world cup one of your areas of expertise of course would be the breakdown and what have you made of them particularly i suppose the last two games like this would have been an issue i think for a long time and yet it was only properly exploited in the last two yeah. but were you surprised that in paris they didn't really seemed to adjust given what had happened at the breakdown only uh, two weeks prior yeah I suppose I th you know I thought it would be a wake-up call after that Scotland game where Barkley Hamish Watson uh, caused absolute carnage at the you know on the floor they really slowed the ball up turned it over I think 10 times so uh, yeah I think Murray and myself were talking there before they're playing this 2-2-2-2 two, 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 two system mm -hmm. And uh, what you find is often, some, you know, with Ireland, they like to have uh, an effective carry, ideally get over the gain line. Then you have uh, the two guys coming to clear past the ball, whereas England have been having a ball carrier and then just one guy clearing. And it, it gives, gives um, a back row an opportunity to get in over the ball. So I think that will be something that they'll try and adjust in having, you know, minimum two, two going to the breakdown rather than sending one to the breakdown, especially when you've got the likes of... Dan Levy, CJ Stander over the ball, who are you know really good poachers. Yeah, and, and Ireland's kind of competitiveness at the breakdown massively increased in the Scottish game. Early in the, the tournament, they were kind of standing off a little bit, being very selective. Noticeably, we, we saw massive kind of competition, even from guys like Earls and Stockdale out in the wide channels going for that ball. So they've shown their ability there, and, and England will be massively aware of that. Yeah, before we get a couple of questions from the audience, we will be shot if we don't ask Mike a lot about the line-out. We, uh, we got a couple of comments the last time for not bringing it up, God bless. <laughs> well, I suppose um, well, like, it's going to be a, a massive battle firstly, and it might swing the game one way or the other. Um, it'll be Ian Henderson presumably calling the line-outs this weekend, which he's done in the past. Yeah, he did against England last year. Yeah. 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 Uh, how do you see that line-out battle going this weekend? 
Yeah, well, Hendy's proved he can call the line out. I mean, he's got the he's Hendy's got pretty much the complete game. He can play six at international level and play really well. He can play lock-ins. It's a very hard thing to be able to specialise in both. I think the Hendy, for Hendy taking his game to the next level was, you know, as you said, calling the lineouts, real test in that. That, that last game against England and then he called them against Argentina in the Autumn Internationals and he, he called them really well so I think going into the next World Cup Joe identified Paul O'Connell's retired our line-out caller then Donica Ryan stepped up you know went to went to Racing he's a line-out caller so who does that leave us with just Dev really so you know Dev's done a great job calling the line-out and he will do going forward but you know we need to have some backup of someone who can, who's able to call the line-out and you know Hendy able to call the line out is, is is brilliant and he's he's done a really good job of it he'll dev will be working with him behind the scenes to help him out he'll be learning from dev in that aspect but then you've got the security of dev on the bench if if things aren't going um if things aren't going great line out wise you can bring dev on and you know really really shore up the line out attack and as we mentioned dev in in the line out defense it's uh, give gives nightmares to to hookers thrown in i mean when you've got someone six foot eleven going up but dev's also very clever he uh he did a lot of work behind the scenes, a lot of analysis looking back at previous games and they'll have an idea what kind of systems they use. So, um, yeah, no, it's um, we, we seem very well stocked in the, in the second row, which was, you know, a huge concern once um, once I retired. And I mean, Paul O'Connell retired, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Two huge yeah, losses. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we'll take a few questions from yourselves. We are giving away a jersey. It's behind me there. Uh, I mean, you know what it looks like, but... Uh, yeah, so... Um, Work away. Is there a microphone going around there? Do you want me to hold it up? Oh, yeah, that'd be brilliant. Thank you very much. There you go. Do you see it? <laughs> Lovely. Lovely. You have to pick the winner, Mike. Oh, yeah, Mike, you are, you're going to be picking the winner. So How do I the pick best. the winner? Well, it's just the whichever best question. question you oh, like. Oh, right, okay. Yeah. I mean, if you like none of them, you can take the jersey. Okay, all right. Okay. <laughs> Gareth, have a quick uh, question. One observation I'd make is England should have also lost to Wales and Twickenham, bar a dodgy decision. So it's more than two matches. But out of both the squads, and I include the coaching staff, who would you replace in the Irish team with an English pl- with an English opposition number? That's my question. That's if you look one on one, Tomori. Yeah, yeah I, I'd actually probably believe in Billy Vinopola if he was fit. I think he's for me. He's in the top three players in the world. I thought he was a massive loss for the Lions in the summer. I think he would have had a massive effect on that series. So a fit Billy Billy Vinopola I would put in there, and also a fit Marwitoje. Uh, he doesn't look as dynamic at the moment it's probably something we haven't mentioned is the fact that the English players have looked a little bit lethargic in this championship um, the Irish guys have been managed so well I think there was a g- really good article in the Telegraph this week a guy called Charlie Morgan and he wrote about the, the player welfare management the Kitman Labs but he pointed out that Johnny Sexton has completed like 280 minutes whereas uh, for club and country and Owen Farrell has, has done that 16 times this season so it's an example of how the English guys have probably been flogged a little bit since the Lions tour and I think Atoje is a guy who has shown clear signs that but when he's at his best I think I'd probably have him in Ireland second row as well what about you Mike who are you dropping jeez <laughs> yeah uh, I think he's still my one Vunapola yeah he's a serious ball carrier it gets great momentum for teams so you can play uh, too as well yeah yeah you? so probably Vunapola so yeah would there be anyone in England's backline that you'd like to see in our, that would make Ireland start in 15 yeah Anthony Watson's a guy who I really rate he also did well on the, the Lions tour uh, lightning quick and He's moved into 15 now. We probably haven't seen the best of him there just yet, but uh, he's also a guy you'd probably push in. And, and certainly English fans would tell you he's a lot better than Rob Carney and, and our, our wingers, um, Ireland's wingers. So, uh, yeah, he's one possibly as well, but I think it's pretty even. And, and I, to be honest, when I look at this, those two 15s, I think in the key positions, Ireland 
uh, have the kind of strong, stronger, um, more experienced options. Fair enough. Good question. Anybody else? You're in, you're, you've got the jersey so far. <laughs> <laughs> that isn't a here. Ladies, sorry. Hi. So um, you mentioned earlier about Ireland's gameplay being described as boring. Um, I wouldn't necessarily agree with that, but sometimes it can be viewed as one-dimensional or maybe quite predictable. Like, for example, Murray box kick out of a rock, chase with um, uh, Carney or Earl. So... How can we ensure going into the World Cup in 2019 that we're not viewed as predictable, that we can take on the likes of the All Blacks, Argentina, um, considering the last time we did so well after Six Nations, we didn't do so well in the World Cup? Good question. Yeah, I, th I, think, I think the reason we, we alluded to before is maybe one of the reasons that we, we lost the Argentina game was because of the personnel we lost. Six, six huge players. I mean, that, like as I said, that would affect the All Blacks. Um, I, d I don't think we'll change much the way the way we play going into the next World Cup, teams. I'm sure teams. Every, every time we play a Test match, before we play Wales, before we play Scotland, the coaches, the players talk about, you know, our kicking game, and um, they they know what's coming. But it, yeah, it's effective and it works. So why change a winning formula? I mean, they'll keep tweaking and keep getting better. And those one percenters, you know, where we can get better here. And they, they, of course, they'll add things. But you know, it won't change too much. It, it's it's a system that works. It's embedded in the players. They know what they're doing. They know where they're meant to be. And um, you know, like they'll keep evolving, but uh, they won't—they won't reinvent the wheel. That's that's for sure. Yeah, I probably agree. I, I don't think we're going to see massive changes. Um, like Ireland's attack and play is quite patterned compared to other teams. Like they do tend to go higher into the phases off a set piece, yeah. where everything's organised, everyone's in the position they need to be, and and Joe Schmidt has a lot of control over that. So they certainly are different to to other teams, like the All Blacks, who are unbelievably skilled across the board, have very little structure. You know, they've some basic structures off counter attack. Uh, kick return where people need to be in, in positions but a lot of it is just individual decision making because you have a loose head a tight head uh, who can pass and handle and you have a hooker who can beat anyone out in the wing um, so th that suits them more Schmidt would see this as being more suited to the Irish players and he'll always say listen these guys can make decisions for themselves um, I think if you're going to try and be hypercritical maybe they could get a second playmaker in there a guy like Joey Carberry working with Sexton in that kind of dual playmaker kind of axis but realistically I, I don't think don't, don't, don't think we're going to see that change uh, so, I, I think another area that Ireland uh, you know specialise in which is a real point of difference for them and he's from the start when Joe came in it's you know what is a point of difference you know you look at other teams there's a lot of teams that are bigger than us uh, you know South Africa France England uh, you know a lot of teams bigger than us but what 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 can we do that's a point of difference that other teams haven't got and that is the discipline we give less penalties we're so well drilled and our discipline's really good we give less penalties away uh than, than any other team in, in in international rugby and you know what happens is when you give penalties away in test match rugby it gives opposition easy access points to get into the game and you know games are often won by you know one point two points three points so um, that's a real point of difference for Ireland is is their discipline and the number of penalties they give away. He started to address the size thing as well, I think, as well. He, he, Joe Schmidt does go back to a lot of these yeah. smaller teams, but like Andrew Porter's a pretty big oh, yeah, boy. Yeah. Jacob Stockdale's massive for a winger. Yeah. Uh, Bundyaki's unbelievably physical. So he's And James Ryan, obviously, outstanding yeah, athlete. Yeah. Like He's been aware of that and, and increasing that side of the game as well. I think he's picked out those guys for not only their skills, but also for their athletic ability. So is it a case of going into a World Cup not necessarily with extra strings or a bow that other teams mightn't necessarily be able to detect in advance, but more so, this is what we have. 
we're one of the top two or three best teams in the world. It's up to you to beat us. I'm just ironing out the kinks of the game plan yeah. that we already have. And, yeah, and evolving slightly, as Mike says. They beat the All Blacks with a pretty similar game plan to what they're playing now. And, and they did take risks in that game. Even you think of the last, the last try if Robbie Henshaw scores off the scrum. But that comes from a, a nice wide play on a scrum. And, and they kick deep. Like Again, that's a, a pre-called uh, kind of tactical play. But it is there is a risk involved there and they, and they went to that width and they got the reward. So I think they've shown that it can work and I think Joe Schmidt, with all his best players fit, would, would back them to beat anyone in the world. Cool. Anybody else there? A few more up here. Hey, to uh, t- like touch on what you mentioned there about Carter and Ryan two years ago in Stockdale and Larmore last year, do you see anybody in the current crop of under-20s peeking in to our World Cup squad or yeah, sometime yeah. next year? I, yeah, I, I was talking to someone about this during the week. I, I, I'm not sure it's as outstanding a crop of players. Um, there are definitely individuals there who are going to push into senior rugby, but in time for the World Cup, I don't know, it would be a massive ask. There's a couple of impressive guys like Angus Curtis at 12 has done really well, uh, quite a powerful young man and, and supposedly very determined. Uh, so he'll push through. Jack O'Sullivan at number eight has been absolutely outstanding, filling in for Caelan Doris, who, who was injured before the championship. Um, and the two tight heads, Jack Angel and Tom O'Toole, look really good as well. But for me, looking at the World Cup, I think it's probably a step too, too soon for them. Um, but definitely a lot, a lot of individual talent there. It's, it's amazing how quickly guys can find themselves in the setup, though. I mean, you know, I probably wouldn't have thought James Ryan or Porter or Stockdale would have, would have been there. And, you know, like you look at Stockdale, t- 10 tries and eight tests, it's, it's phenomenal. So, you know, things, you know, things can happen pretty quickly out of the blue. So. And even Schmidt, like Schmidt always thinks that, like Sam Arnold has been around the squad pretty much the whole championship. Obviously, he's not under 20 anymore, but really exciting prospects. So that Wend and, you know, uh, hopefully they won't lose another outside centre but yeah. if they do then Sammy Arnold's been in there he, he knows the plays he knows everything knows the system the same happened with Gary Ringrose so Schmidt yeah. will manage the ones who are, who are talented enough and, the, and they'll push through we've got a couple more on this side as well ten more oh. <laughs> um, I'm just wondering do you guys think that this Irish team can control their emotions come the next World Cup better than any other Irish team especially when we beat France in the last World Cup and you have Madigan like visibly upset or just overcome with emotion after we beat them. And then when we beat Australia in the previous World Cup before that, I think O'Gara got a bit upset in, a, in, a, in an interview afterwards. Do you think this team is at a different level and they've beaten the All Blacks and they've pretty much beaten everyone, that they can go on to not just go to a semi-final but go to a final and not let emotion kind of get the best of them? I, I think with this Irish team, we've seen it. This Six Nations, you know, we just we can get, you, you know, we, we we just we're just finding how to win. I mean, we spoke about that game in France where, you know, we could have easily have lost that game, but somehow I'm not too sure how it's kind of a bit of a miracle and phenomenal what they did, but they won the game against Wales. Again, you know, very very close, could have gone either way, but we found a way to win. The first 30 minutes, I think we were under the pump from Wales, and then as I said. We found a way to score just before half time, just after half time, crucial periods of the game. Against Scotland, you know, you'd probably say we were lucky to, you know, the first 30 minutes, Scotland were, you know, probably on top. But, you know, we found a way to score just before half time, just after half time. So um, I think we found a way to win. Those games against uh, New Zealand, beating Australia, beating South Africa in one calendar year, that's going to give us the squad huge confidence. They know 
they believe in the systems, they believe in what they're doing, and you know they 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 have full confidence. If they stick stick to the game plan, they'll win. So I think that's that's going to be a huge thing going towards the next World Cup. So we're going to do win the Grand Slam and the World Cup. We're going to win. <laughs> no, hold on. We're going to win the Grand Slam, and yes, we're going to win the World Cup. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, has that, but has that maybe um, uh, it's probably wrong to describe it as a dependence on, on emotion but has that almost been taken out of them a little bit in that they're, they're not as reliant as getting like freakishly fired up on a sort of a one-off occasion because they are now so confident in their ability and the game plan that they don't necessarily need to um, almost have an outer body experience to get over some of these top teams I think the one with Mads and uh, you know, like I think it's just the raw emotion. You know, it's it's a pressurized it's a pressurized environment. It's uh, you know, like my missus and my mum would do my head in. They think you just go around and chuck the ball around the pitch and you're having a bit of crack. But like you know, it's it's you know everyone. Yeah, mate. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, my mum thinks you just throw the ball into the lineup. But anyway, um, yeah. There's it's um, it's hugely press- pressurized. It's uh, sport at the highest level you know such small margins to winning and losing a game and i think like the build-up you feel the pressure and you know guys deal with it in different ways but you know just the raw emotion of you know you've put you've put your body on the line for 80 minutes you the blood the sweat the tears the preparation during the week and you know sleepless nights whatever it is you know staying up late on the laptops and it's just a absolutely uh an absolute release re- release of energy and you know satisfaction there's no better feeling than you know knowing how hard you've worked knowing you've emptied the tank on the pitch and the final whistle goes you've won a big game and you know that feeling um, in the changing room after for the first kind of couple of hours after is it's there's no better feeling um, so yeah. yeah that's spot on but I think what you do there's a point in that like it seems like the consistency is has massively increased under Joe Schmidt like across all levels of Irish rugby um, it seems like because of the stuff that you've mentioned what he pushes you to focus on during the week you're so concentrated on that and getting that performance aspect right that the emotion then on match day kind of almost takes care of itself like that's always obviously massive in any road match the physical contact is incredible and you're always going to need that element I think Joe Schmidt is aware that maybe that's not his strength and he and he recruited Andy Farrell for his defensive uh, mind as well as his ability to kind of motivate um, and, and speak and, and bring that kind of emotion um, and he pushes his players to bring that but I think the consistency is, is better now in this Irish squad beyond just an emotive high you can't go with that high every week because you're going to dip down the following week and, and that example is, is probably really relevant so for me yeah they're, they're better uh, in terms of consistency and I think I don't, I don't think it's crazy to think that this is our best chance potentially of winning a World Cup in, in 2019 Jesus I I thought we were joking about winning the World Cup. <laughs> Why not say it? They've got a great group of players. They've they've got young guys coming through. They've got experience in key positions. So if they avoid a similar um, horror of of injuries, I think I think they'll be in good shape. That sounds good. Anybody does? Another gentleman up the front here. Um, I was listening to something there recently, and it described uh, Mike as the hard man of the Leinster camp for one stage, um, and then I went further on to talk about how if lads were not motivated, someone would start throwing digs. Um, would that still like happen in the Irish <laughs> camp these days, or did that die with the likes of Peter Classy? Yeah. Who, who have you punched? No, no, no. Uh, strong digs. Yeah, no. It's like obviously the game has cleaned up a lot because it's you know it's it's on the screens, it's on the TVs. You know you you, you can't get away with much now. You see everything, but uh, like there'd definitely be scraps in in training. Uh, you know, I I remember at Leinster my last year, uh, I saw. Tyg Furlong and Jack McGrath having throwing digs at each other in a, I think it was a mauling or scrummaging session and you know I was just thinking geez I'm, I'm definitely getting out of the game at the right time I mean there's two <laughs> absolute 
huge strong men and they were like it, it was ridiculous but uh you know, like there, there is definitely you know especially when, when you know you, you, you the disappointment of you're not picked in the starting team and you're on the bench i don't know if you saw it but actually just something's coming to my mind did anyone see the clip of the montpellier game the other day yeah in the warm-up <laughs> uh you know play starting prop and uh, his own player on the bench throwing digs at each other it's uh you know it can be hard to take when you're used to starting and then you get dropped and you know you're doing uh, live malls or live scrummaging and someone comes in and hits you late or you know it's small little small little things can spark off a big a big kickoff in in training and you, you'd see a lot more scraps than you would in training than you would in in in, in matches I have to ask before somebody else asks and wins the jersey who won jack mcguire or tyke furlan <laughs> it was it like i'll be honest and it, it was pretty even like just it was i was it was it was pretty even i think it got i think it got broken up and uh but uh yeah no two 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 absolute beasts going at it it was uh majority yeah. decision draw yeah, Any, yeah anybody else yeah, yeah. Uh, i think if you're english you've got to be really excited about the the lineup that they've picked it's very aggressive um but from an Irish point of view, I see a lot of indisciplined players there naturally. And I suppose just to split the question two ways for Murray, there's a, there's a bit of a difference in how the referees in the domestic competitions for Ireland and England, how they're looking at the breakdown, and that's caused England some issues in this Six Nations. But you throw a Southern Hemisphere referee into the mix. So I just wonder how Murray thinks we're going to do from a, or how England will do from a discipline standpoint. And then also for Mike, how does Joe actually instill that level of discipline in the players, whereas you're talking about really high-pressure test environment, and yet you're keeping the penalty count in single digits, which is, which is pretty incredible. So. Yeah, like the first part, I, I think Angus Gardner will definitely suit the English more. Um, I think they've really struggled to adapt to the referees. Like you saw in the French game, um, as I mentioned earlier on, like the players are adapting to the referees probably wanting a low penalty count. The French tacklers kept rolling into the first arriving player um, and it wasn't picked up at all. England didn't do it themselves until later in the game. Um, and, and you're right, the Premiership has been very different. The, the breakdown laws are uh, certainly favouring uh, the, the attacking team arriving just with one player over the ball. That's the, the new law. Uh, and you probably don't have to resource it as much. So now they've had to adapt again to, to differ, different refereeing styles and I think they've definitely struggled there. Interesting you mentioned about England's discipline. Like, Kyle Sinclair is a guy who has a bit of a hot head and Dylan Hartley's been mentioned already. I wonder, do players try and wind up those guys? Is that something you actually do out there? You say he's got a hot head? Yeah, well, I, th I think just like Ireland is so well disciplined. I think that's, they'll, they'll just grind, you know, hopefully they'll just grind England down. And, you know, teams find it very, I think they find it very frustrating playing against Ireland because, you know, they feel like they're putting everything into it, their heart and soul. They're being very physical, but then, yeah, they're not. Then they're not winning on the scoreboard and they, they, they can get frustrated. And, you know, like I said before, with with like Haskell coming in, he's, he's obviously a great player, hugely physical, but you can see, you know, that frustration coming into the game and then, that, you know, some of those guys may be starting to give, give, away, give away penalties and uh, get on the wrong side of the referee. Yeah, how does Joe set that standard? Like, I mean, what does he... Yeah, so... For, on the discipline front from day one since Joe came in it's all about habit and it's not just on the field it's everything you do off the field so there's a there's a quote that everyone's pretty big on in camp it's Aristotle you are what you repeatedly do and so the discipline doesn't come from just out training on the pitch or during the games it's it's like how you hold yourself how you how you are around camp how you are with the fans how you you know how you behave yourself um there was a there was a time when like one of the first weeks Joe, Joe was in there I think someone so when you go into camp, you get your key card for Carton House, and it's a little, a little, little envelope, 
and uh, there was an envelope found in the lift. So someone had taken their key card out and just maybe dropped their envelope. And, you know, that player got pulled up on that in the team meeting. And, you know, I don't think anyone's ever lost an envelope to their key card <laughs> since. But, you know, it is, it is it's creating habit and, um, you know, not just on the pitch. But Joe, Joe will put you in testing positions on the pitch. He'll... He'll put you. He'll work you really hard. So you're you're, you're very fatigued. You're blowing. You you know you're you're at breaking point and and you know he might he might send you off the pitch for something you didn't even do. And it's all about in the heat of the moment not reacting and doing you know going and standing on the side of the pitch, not kind of arguing your case that you didn't do it. He he might just be testing you. So uh, you know he inst he instills that in the in the la in the in the lads and both on the field and off the field. If that, I'm not sure of that. We have a similar working environment yeah. in the 42. Very similar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm always finding your envelopes in the lid. <laughs> uh, anybody else before we wrap up? And gentlemen in the spindle here and um, more. Good. Mary or Mike, um, I need a wild card for my fantasy team for the weekend. Um, any suggestions across the six teams? Ooh, one of the Welsh boys, I presume, is going to get a couple of tries. So it's a pick someone that's going to carve up. Um, is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, basically. Load of tries is what you want. Which um, Welsh guy is going to... Which Welsh guy? Jeez. Um, you're asking me about backs, I think. <laughs> I struggle with that. So. Any suggestions? G George North? Yeah, George North looked pretty good. Out Georgie? In the, uh, yeah. Hadley Parks. Hadley Parks, yeah. He's been really impressed in this yeah. championship, hasn't he? Um, That's a good show. Good playmaker. Jeez, it's a tough question. I don't have yeah. a fantasy rugby team. I haven't thought about it. Yeah, I haven't. So. Uh, Sorry, we're going to disappoint. <laughs> That's all good. Anybody else this the gentleman there in the middle. Hi. Oh. Hello. What about Liam Williams? Sorry. Liam Williams. That's a good yeah. one, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. Liam, Liam Williams. There you go. Yeah. Hi, Mike so. and Murray. You've both said that uh, England are going to resource the breakdown much more, which has been really profitable for Ireland. Do you have the antidote? Pretend you're Joe. What's the antidote to that? Yeah, that's a really interesting question. Joe will have definitely considered that. Um, I think it, it probably means a bit more line speed for Ireland because England's uh, whole game plan is going to narrow up. Like that shape, the 2-2-2-2, two, 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 <laughs> which Mike mentioned before, two, two, is all about two, two, keeping two, a little bit of width. And you've seen them trying to go out the back door uh, with a couple of those screen plays as well and, and get the ball to the width. So I guess now when you're putting an extra body into that breakdown, there's obviously less options on their feet, so you, you come with a little bit more line speed. Um, I think they're going to be very selective in attacking those rooks. You know, maybe in the past Irish sides have been guilty of having really strong jackling players and really going at the breakdown every single time. The decision-making now I think is going to be a lot better. Guys like Levy, uh, Peter O'Mahony is very good there, CJ Sander as well, as you mentioned. Um, so I think you'll see more line speed and I think you'll see a very selective uh, decision-making around uh, attacking the ball. I think you answered it there, Murray. Thank you very much. <laughs> we'll yeah. So I think if, 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 if England is sending more to the breakdown to try and make it faster and secure it and make sure they don't turn it over, that's going to mean you know, England have got less players to attack. So that, that, that means that Ireland can get you know, more width in their defence and, as you said, generate more line speed and get, you know, get up in their faces and, and you know, put pressure on them and you know, force them to make errors. So like, That's one of the really interesting trends with Ireland's defence and probably overall in rugby in general. Like, everyone wants to have bodies on their, on their feet. Uh, 13 men in the front line you're seeing most teams now with just two in the backfield whereas before you probably had the back three kind of showing that space a lot so now what you're getting is a lot of double tackles a lot of wrestling tackles even more so than before so even if you're not slowing the ball to breakdown you're actually slowing the possession in the tackle you see a lot of slow long tackles I think Andy Farrell has probably pushed them to get 
to, to kind of get that to a peak as well. So you'll probably see a lot of that. One guy, one, one guy low, one guy high, wrapping the ball, keeping him on his feet, and then the defense can get set even before there's a ruck. So I think that's uh, another advantage of it. Very good. I think there's a gentleman in the middle here. Yeah. So. Um, you mentioned earlier on about Lancaster probably cutting a rice while, given that England still haven't fixed the problems that they had coming from the World Cup. Given the injuries that Ireland have had in 12 and 13 and the resources that they've put in there now, going into the next World Cup, what's the best combination there? Yeah, that's a good question. I think if it was me picking, I'd, I'd, I'd go um, Henshaw and Ringrose. I think those two give you a nice combination of physicality with Henshaw, but he can also play a little bit. Um, the two of them are really intelligent defenders. Like, And that's not to slight Bondiaki, who's been outstanding in this championship for me, uh, fitting into a different role. Like He's not the player he is for Connacht. He's not that... Uh, uh, like line breaking offloading passing centre he's more the kind of glue in the midfield and he's making everyone else's lives easier even something like the latch over Conor Murray uh, for that try against Scotland little details like that he's hitting a lot of rocks but I think if you're looking at your best combination for me personally I think it would be Henshaw and Ringrose you have Ringrose kind of dancing feet and, uh, and footwork and I think they'd, they'd go really well together and, and a lot of upscale still in both players yeah, I'd maybe say Henshaw and Bundy, you know, having worked together at Connacht, they know each other inside out. And, you know, for me, they just, like, Gary's very physical, but those two guys bring huge amounts of physicality. They're, they're, they're very big. They're, you know, Bundy getting over the gain line and, um, you know, to have Gary on the bench and he's a great guy to come on once, you know, because you have to earn the right to go forward. So to have Bundy and Robbie who, you know, probably, you know, crash it up and get really good momentum and you know hold the defense keep them honest and then to get bring Gary on with you know when guys are a little bit tired and um fatigued to bring Gary on with his you know he's got unbelievable feet unbelievable pace and you know he can do a kind of similar job that Sean Cronin does when he comes on to to tie defenses yeah it was really interesting to see uh, Henshaw really enjoying that 13 role and um, that that was all the work coming out of camp he was enjoying the increased space he probably doesn't like the perception that he is just a, a kind of Bish Bosch uh, centre he's got more to his game and certainly intelligent defender as well so like you've got incredible options Chris Farrell did really well there as well so you can kind of mix and match depending on who the opposition is as well and as we mentioned Arnold still to come through there um, so a lot of talent there Super anybody else before we wrap yeah, just that's uh, one more just up here as well. I thought it was really interesting to say that they had a, a subs you know, in like meeting before the game to show like the impact that they had as a team but like is there any sort of external kind of coaching dad for like you're talking about the pressure it's high pressure situation you know it's not just throwing a ball into a line out like yeah but like is there any other like does joe come into you and kind of manage that kind of expectation that you have of yourself like that kind of how do you not like get down on yourself when there's a huge huge pressure game like this upon you yeah well a, a big part of it i think it's kind of you know joe joe bought it in a few years ago and i think a lot of teams are doing it now but it's that kind of whole um so we had a, a sports psychologist working with us ender mcnulty so it's all about you know, we actually had mindfulness put into our schedule. So, you know, like on a, a Monday, I think it was like a Monday or Tuesday morning, it's like 20 minutes, half an hour where you go in, you lie in a room, some music's played. Uh, Jason Cowan, the S&C guy, would be involved in kind of talking to you, you know, getting your breathing going. And it's just a, a bit of a release, keep you keep you calm. And it's a bit of a timeout and uh, lets you kind of reflect and, yeah, I don't know. I'm not going to pretend I know the ins and outs of it, but yeah, it was in our schedule, and um, you know, it's a big part. The mental side of it is is a huge part, and you know, also is visualization. There was um, a thing that you know it was called Mind Gym, which is you know sitting down, finding it, whether it be in your room, whether you find a quiet little area and trying to get a bit of Mind Gym in every day. You know, sitting down 
you're sitting quietly for 20, 15, 20 minutes and just, you know, visualizing the play sheet, like a call's been called, I'm sitting there, I'm visualizing what is my role, what am I doing, you know, the line out off the top, what's my next job, am I hitting the rook, I'm cleaning deep, you know, like visualizing exactly what you're doing, uh, visualizing what sounds you're hearing, you know, smells, everything, you know, all the senses. So, uh, you know, that, that is that is a big, big part of it. Excellent. I hope the yeah. smells weren't too bad. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that is, uh, that's it for the questions. We will um, get your predictions ads in a second, but Mike, I have to ask you to pick a winner. I'll give you the questions because there were a good few. Uh, there was, who would, would you take from the English team to put into the Irish team? There's, how do we avoid being predictable at Rugby World Cup 2019? Uh, anybody from the under-20s ready to make the breakthrough for, breakthrough rather for the next World Cup? Will this Irish team be better at controlling their emotions come the next World Cup? Uh, there's a reminder for me here that there are 45 minutes gone in the second half. Thank you very much for that. <laughs> Who's throwing digs to motivate lads in training? How will England do apart from uh, the disciplinary standpoint? A wild card for my fantasy team. Sorry, mate. Uh, <laughs> if England uh, resorts to breakdown more, how do Ireland combat that? Jesus Christ, is that? Uh, Ireland's best 12-13 combo. And finally, how does Joe manage the expectation of the I've, pressure? I've, I've, I've made a decision, guys. And okay. I feel it has to be ladies first. So your question, I think, Mike, was, well done. Yeah, Mike, yeah, yeah. So the, the second question, the prediction of the, World uh, Cup. Excellent, yes. the, World Cup, the next yeah. World Cup, I think. So. Well done. Yeah, good stuff. Hey, well done. Hey, come, up, come up and receive your award. Oh, yeah. Well good done. Good job. There we go. Well done. Yeah, well done. Good question. Well done. Well done. Well done. Well done. All right, lads, we better wrap before we, before we get locked in. Very quickly, Murray, I'll start with yourself. Are we going to yeah, do it? Yeah, uh, I've been wavering all week forward and back. Before the championship, I would have said that England would have won this match. Um, I'm still slightly leaning that way. I think oh, Ireland have unbelievable momentum coming into it, but I just could never foresee England losing three games in a single championship. Um, I, know, I know it's not popular, but that's, that's how I feel. I think they're going to nick it with a late score. <laughs> that's fair enough. Yeah, I think I think we'll win. I think uh, I think whatever the situation is, we'll, we'll you know we'll find a way to win. And uh, yeah, no, hugely exciting. But I, I do I I generally do think we'll win. Uh, two years ago, it was very close. Um, you know, it came down to the wire, so it will be close. But uh, yeah, full full belief, and we'll find a way to win. What do you reckon, guys? Win, lose. <laughs> Who said it? <laughs> All right, okay. folks, thanks a million. That is all we've got time for. Uh, our thanks to Volkswagen, our sponsors. A reminder about the green chair in the back there. Terrific prices on offer. And even if you just take part and you tell a story, you'll get a copy of our book as well. But thanks a million for joining us. Enjoy the weekend. Enjoy the game. Enjoy Ireland winning the Grand Slam. Enjoy Ireland winning the Rugby World Cup next year. It's all going to happen. <laughs> Cheers. Thanks a million. <laughs> and can I just hear it one more time for... The man, Murray Kinsa, and also our special guest tonight, Mike McCarthy. Great job, you guys. Could I just say, could I just say one thing? Thank you very much for having me. I really do appreciate it. I've had a lovely evening and I've really enjoyed myself. Oh, wow. Hello. Thank you. <laughs> You're the first person to ever say that, so I appreciate it. <laughs> Cheers, Mike. Cheers, lads. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thank you.